0: Welcome back. Well, we're digging deep into the roots of Hebrew thought as we continue our discussion of proper thinking about faith. To help us sort all that out, here's George.
1: So we're looking at the list of the intersection of Greek philosophy, the Greek approach to the world, with the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew way of thought. We've listed several. Here are a couple more. When the expanding church in the early years of its life defined and defended itself in debate over many centuries, most of which took place between Gentile authors and leaders, starting in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, and hence imbued with and expressed through Greek philosophical and rhetorical methods. And then later, when Thomas Aquinas discovered the writings of Aristotle, who had been lost to the West for centuries— and began to explain Christian theology in Greek philosophical terms. Even transubstantiation, substance, and accident for those theologians out there, those are concepts that came from Aristotle. And then next, when humanism arose, heavily dependent on Greek ideas, and began to claim values arising from human reason in which the Greeks delighted, Remember, man is the measure of all things, is from a contemporary of Socrates, the Greek philosopher Protagoras, who predated even Alexander the Great. And then lastly, when science arose, contesting religion for primacy in the lives and faith of people and showing its superior and growing ability to cure disease, tap power from the atom and travel even into space. It remains dominant to this day. Its roots, like the Enlightenment and humanism, are largely Greek. Each of these intersections of Greek philosophy and Hebrew thought have affected how we understand and respond to the God of Israel, who we Christians, along with Jews and Muslims, believed to be the one true God. Now, you may not have thought about it this way before, but the fact is that much of the theology that we do today and that has been done in the church since the second or third century has, in structure and even in content, been fundamentally a Greek philosophical debate. It is a Herculean effort to explain God, to abstract, categorize, and organize what the Jews and followers of Jesus experienced, and then to draw parallels and make distinctions. From these were established foundational propositions, and from these came doctrines, definitions of what fit or didn't fit, these propositions. In this process, we have Greekified the God of Israel. We have been misdirected into a philosophical structure and debate. Even the theists who proclaim a living and involved God still promote and defend him in philosophical terminology. Instead of a robust, constant, joyful, rocky, rebellious, dedicated, awestruck, and argumentative love affair with God, we have given our hearts to propositions. We have fallen in love with our own thoughts about God and missed Him. Now, I realize this is a difficult thing to hear or countenance I myself want to jump up and down and defend good doctrine. Bad doctrine can lead to disaster, I know. And Paul warns us, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables." Doctrine here in Paul's quote is from the Greek word didascalia, and it means teaching, precept, proposition. And we do want to get that right and not be led astray by fables instead of the truth. But the truth isn't a concept to Jews or Christians. God is truth. So the issue fundamentally isn't about getting the doctrine right, so much as it is about getting the relationship right. If bad doctrine can lead us away from relationship, let's point it out and move on seeking Him. But right doctrine can and does also lead us away from Him when we focus on it instead of Him and when we try to grasp and explain Him by doctrine. We've now endured centuries of this approach to God, and we've missed the point, which is, well, God. It isn't our intellectual assent to propositions about him that he seeks. It's our trust. It is intimacy. It is wrestling. He offers love and covenant, marriage, not highly ordered thoughts, and explanations about him. There is no explaining him. This problem began early with the Hellenization of the Mediterranean and Middle East under Alexander the Great. It affected Judaism and Pharisaic methods in the Talmud, and it continued under Paul, both in his training as a Pharisee, And later, as he sought to reveal the God of Israel in terms and concepts, his Hellenized Gentile audience would grasp. I understand this, and I don't even really object to it as it is. It was a door for the Gentiles, an opening to a new way of life and to salvation and the love of God. Paul taught them in their language, in their own modes of thought, But his goal was not to have his philosophy beat the other philosophies. It was to introduce them to their Creator and Savior. In our day and age, we have virtually abandoned the prospect of life with God and have settled instead for debates about his nature and intentions. Even the struggle between humanism and theism is almost entirely within the Greek philosophical arena. The humanists adopt basic Greek philosophical ideals about the nature of man, from Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, from the skeptics and others, and they posit a world of human relations in which God is absent at best, and we are left to determine what we will value and what standards we will maintain. But the theists, though they proclaim a God in intimate relation with humanity, act largely like deists and posit their own worldview in carefully structured, detailed, and defended doctrines, deduced from Scripture and tradition, reformed into a philosophical system of considerable breadth and compass. Their thought is dialectical. One way is right and the other wrong. They show it by the debate, but they prove that one is right. The smallest deviation is cause for attack. But even if it was consistent to the nth degree and right in some elemental and universal system of truth, it is still Greek and not Hebrew in its approach to God and to life. Well, so what? Is God a Jew? Do we need to think like Hebrews in order to love God or to be saved? Doesn't Scripture tell us that God is the God of all nations and that in him we are neither Greek nor Jew? Yes, of course. But I contend that by putting all of our effort into explaining God, arguing about God, understanding God, and defending God in philosophical terms, in debates about doctrine— We have fled the door labeled God and packed the hall for lectures about God delivered by contesting theologians. We claim that we Christians are a wild olive branch grafted into the root of Judaism. It would be more accurate to say we have cut ourselves off from the root, confident that we don't need The sustenance it supplies. We left Israel, moved to Greece, and were assimilated. Our memories of our Hebrew ancestry are just that only memories, faded pictures in dusty boxes of a life lived by others long ago. Christian liberals and Christian conservatives alike are essentially Greek. In their approach to God and life. We differ on philosophy. We align with sparring schools. We accuse each other of ineptitude and bad motives, and we fight about how we each define and explain God. We instead need to be married to God and let him have his way with us. We need to be ravished, not lectured.
0: Thank you, George. Some fascinating material covered today and more coming your way next time we get together. We hope you're going to plan on joining us. In the meantime, we want to make you aware of resources that are available on the website whatwebelieveandwhy.com. Of course, you can get the book there, but you can also listen to full episodes of past programs if you'd like to hear George dig through some of the topics that are listed in the book. There are also Bible study resources and other links to help you grow in your faith as you explore and wrestle with the nuances of what it means to be a Christian today. Once again, that website is whatwebelieveandwhy.com. A lot of great resources there. We hope you'll take advantage of it. And we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of What We Believe and Why.